we are here in New Hope Radio. Ethereum. Glad to be with you. I'm going to talk about Jesus today because <laughs> we're in a series entitled Let's Meet Jesus Again for the Very First Time. You know, I've noticed as I read the scriptures, I notice that God seems to be in the business of separating things. You know that? There are things that he separates. We know that God is a God of unity, but he also likes to separate things as well. Matter of fact, we do that too, don't we? You probably separate your dinner plate, right, into sections. You got meat, vegetables, potatoes. They all have their own little area. You especially separate dessert. That's got a whole different plate, doesn't it? You don't put your cheesecake on the mashed potatoes now, do you? We're going to see today God separates things too. You know what he separates? People. Oh yeah. God separates people. How does he do it? Well, we noticed as we read through the scriptures during our Christian life, he did it one time by confounding the language of the people. We know that as the story of the Tower of Babel. People got different languages. In the Old Testament, when, when God gave instructions about the priestly garments, he said, don't mix wool and linen together in those garments. Right? Remember that? He talked about plowing on the field. Don't mix the donkey and the oxen. Don't combine them together when they plow. Separate them. Either use the donkey or use the ox. Separate them, but don't use them together. Why? One's bigger and stronger. He'll drag that other guy around. They, they separated sheep from goats when they were pasturing. So we're going to see today that God separates people, and he separates those who are serious. Here it comes now. Oh, don't miss this. He separates those who are serious about following him from those who are not. He separates those who are serious about following him from those who are not. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll see what group <laughs> we're in today. Maybe we'd be surprised about where we are. And how is it that Jesus separates people? You know how? Here it comes. Challenging words. That's what he uses. Challenging words. We know them sometimes as hard sayings. Hard sayings are challenging words, right? So we're going to take a look at this event that took place the day after Jesus fed the multitude. Remember that story? Jesus hosts a picnic. We talked about that. Everybody was fed. Twelve baskets of leftovers. Man, that was a great day. And then Jesus sent the disciples away in a boat. And he walked on water to rescue them in the storm. Walked right out there. Wow. And then Jesus told the crowd that followed him 
He says, here's what I want you to do. Do the work of God and believe in Him as the one the Father has sent. Do the work of God and believe in Him, speaking of Himself, the one whom the Father has sent. And after Jesus did all of this, you know what they said? <laughs> Show us a sign that we would believe. I'm like, what? He just fed the multitude with a little boy's lunch. Show us a sign that we would believe. They just came from a miraculous picnic the day before. Well, after a little more conversation about bread and manna and Moses, Jesus said, we're in John 6, verse 51. Here's what he said. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, oh, he'll live forever. And the bread also which I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. There it is. What's Jesus saying? Want to be saved? It comes through me. Now, the conversation breaks down. And you know why it breaks down? Because a spiritual truth is trying to be understood with natural ears. It doesn't work. You can't understand spiritual things with a natural mindset. In verse 52, here's what happened. Then the Jews began to argue with one another. <laughs> and they said, How can this man give us flesh to eat? See, this is what happens when you're occupied with what you want rather than what God is saying. Think about that. That's what happens when you're occupied with what you want rather than what God is saying. I believe the Christian's biggest failure is in making their Christianity more about what they want rather than about what God wants. You know, it's a me, me, me Christianity today in the 21st century, as it was in the 20th century. It's very little about the will of God today. Because you know why? The will of God challenges. Oh, yeah. It's all about crucifying the flesh, challenging us in our faith. So when you're consumed with what you want, you cannot hear what God is saying. Nor will you understand it. It's like listening to someone but thinking about what you're going to say while they're saying it. Right? Did you ever do that? You're, not, you're listening to someone, but you're not really listening. You're thinking more about your response. When that happens in marriage, that's called an argument. That's why couples argue. Because they're not listening to each other. They're listening a little, but they're more thinking, listening with their ears, but thinking with their mind how they want to say what they want to say, not about responding to what the other person is saying. So these people are all confused about eating flesh. And I want you to notice Jesus' response in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, oh, this is really going to knock them over. <laughs> Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. 
Wow. A natural-minded person is going to have a hard time with that. One guy I like to read, his name is Adam Clark. He said, he who was saved by it must be made a partaker of it. I like that. What's he talking about? Christ, the body of Christ. He who is saved by it must be made a partaker of it. So Jesus said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up at the last day. But yet, many disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? They didn't get it. The word difficult, it's the word scleros, and it means tough. It's a tough statement. It also means severe. Ooh, this is severe. What's he saying? This is too hard. Why was it so tough for them to receive it? This is why. Because in Jewish thought, the blood stands for the life. The blood belongs to God. As God is the giver of life, so does the blood sustain life. And you know, as blood seeps out of the body, the life ebbs away. That's why Moses gave the commandment in Leviticus 3.17. He said, it is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. Why? The blood belongs to God. In Leviticus 7.27, he said, Any person who eats any blood, even that person shall be cut off from his people. Now again, we're going back to the Old Testament. I know some of you out there today, you like to eat food with blood. A rare steak, even like blood sausage or blood pudding, things like that. I don't eat it. But those of you that do, don't be condemned. The dietary laws have changed, okay? But regarding the days of the gospel and what Jesus is saying, can you see how, and here's the whole point, can you see how listening to spiritual truth with a natural mind can mess you up? It can. It can even turn you away from Jesus. And it did. Listening to a spiritual truth with a natural mind will turn you away from Jesus. Even something simple. When, when the preacher says, no one gets to the Father but through Christ alone. That's what the Bible says. And then we've got religions all over the world saying, no, all roads lead to Rome. Anybody can be saved. See, they're listening to a spiritual truth, but they're natural-minded. And therefore, they turn away. They turn away from God. Now, Jesus is going to explain what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. See, you got to stick around for the explanation. Here's what he said. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, that word abide, it means to dwell there. To remain there. Now here's an interesting note. Verse 59. 
These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So John is he's, he's writing about a scene that took place in their church, the synagogue. So what do you do in church? You teach, here it comes, spiritual truth. And if you're natural-minded, when you're sitting in church and you listen to spiritual truth, you're going to get all messed up. And you're going to misunderstand it and you're going to turn away. So remember, Jesus is teaching these things to professing believers. They go to church. They're in the synagogue. They love God, right? Why do people go to synagogue? To learn God's will for their lives. That's why they went, to learn God's will. But yet, uh-oh, when Jesus taught it, they refused it. Hmm. Verse 61, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples, not the twelve, this is the crowd, disciples of the followers, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. Wow, man, grumbling at Jesus. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. You know, there's a few people I never want to be. I don't want to be that slapped Jesus. I don't want to be the guy that slapped Jesus at the high court. I don't want to be the guy that whipped Jesus and the praetorium. I don't want to be the guy that drove the spikes in his hands. I don't want to be the guy that stabbed him with a spear. I don't even want to be the guy that grumbles at his sayings. Because they're all alike. They're all alike. So Jesus, when they heard him grumbling, he said, does this cause you to stumble? And you know the word stumble, it's the word scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandal. It means to trip up and trap. It means to offend or displease. I wonder what Jesus said next in the synagogue. Could it be said in every church today? You know what he said? There are some of you who do not believe. He said that to people in the synagogue. Yeah, you're in church, but you really don't believe. You think that's true today? I wonder if the preacher on Sunday morning said, there are some of you that are here today who do not believe. Oh, they might even say that they believe, but the reality is their life does not demonstrate it. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And he also knew who it was that would betray him. Wow. How do you know if you really believe? You know, I think we got a lot of people today, they're in self-foolery. <laughs> what does that mean? Self-foolery. They're fooling themselves. They might think they believe, but in reality they don't. And this is serious. That's one thing you don't want to get wrong. Okay? Here's what I believe. The walk of you gives evidence of the faith in you. And I know that grammar is not great, but I wanted it to be a little poetic. The walk 
of you, in other words, your walk, gives evidence of the faith in you, of your faith. Of the Word of God that's in you. Because, you know, when the Word of God is in us, it's supposed to be a controlling factor. Did you know that? That the Word of God is a controlling factor. It is not my opinion is not my controlling factor. The Word of God is my controlling factor. Sometimes, and if you're like me, a lot of times <laughs> I have to change my opinion in order to line up with the Word of God. So when Jesus gave this tough saying, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. And they were not walking with him anymore. Wow. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? And you know what Jesus was going to do? He was going to let them go. Gonna... You know, Jesus lets people go. Why? Because he separates those that are serious about their faith from those that are not. That's why. Who wants counterfeit money in their wallet? That's no good. You're not going to buy anything with counterfeit money. Right? You have Monopoly money in your, walk, in your wallet? And you go to the store and you go, Oh, I don't have any real money. Would you accept this Monopoly money? They'd be like, no. Well, either faith is real or it's not. So if your faith is not real, Jesus is like, Okay. I'm not holding you back. You can go. You can leave. If your faith is not real. But if your faith is real, oh, come on, man, let's do this. So he said to the disciples, are you guys like them? Are you going to go too? Was the challenge for you too great? Are you going to leave? Now Peter got it. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you, you have the words of eternal life. Oh, Lord. Listen, no one offers a better deal than you. You give us hope. You give us joy. You give us life. Why would we leave? Why would we leave that? See, Peter understood. And then he said, We have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are Jesus, and we're not giving that up. See, when you truly understand who Jesus is, there are no other choices. There's not. There's no other choices. Where do you go? Once you really know Christ, where else are you going to go? Who's got a better deal? Who gives greater hope? You think by walking away from Jesus, things would be better? That will never happen. Never. In a million lifetimes. Once you walk with him, if you walk away from him, things will never get better. Sometimes people think they will. That's self-foolery. It really is. This scene is a warning about how easy it is to witness, embrace, and follow Jesus for a time and then to just simply fall away. Happens all the time. I bet we all know somebody that has walked with the Lord, and today they're not. 
They're not doing it. He slipped away. He fell away. Why? Too opinionated. Instead of being oriented to what God says, they were oriented to their own opinion. Well, I don't know if I want to eat flesh and drink blood. That doesn't sound right to me. I don't think I want to do that. I'll find my own way. Okay. But see, they were naturally minded. When we're naturally minded, we never understand the ways of God and the will of God. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. You know, this, uh, uh, and I share this story Sunday, but I'm going to share it now. It's a terrible story. It's a story about an artist who was painting the Last Supper. Oh, it was a great picture. And it took him many years to paint. As a model for the face of Christ, he used a young man with a very lovely face, purity, virtue. Bit by bit, the picture was filled in. One after another, the disciples were painted in. And then the day came when he needed a model for Judas. He left Judas's face for last. So he went out and searched in the lowest haunts of the city, in the dens of sin, and at last he found a man with a face so depraved and so vicious it matched, it matched the vision that he had for Judas. When the sitting was completed, the man said to the artist, You painted me before. Oh, surely not, said the artist. Oh, yes, said the man. I sat for your Christ. What happened to this man? The years had brought terrible deterioration. The, the further he got from Christ, the more he became What's the word? I can't even think of the word I want. He became vicious, hard, unacceptable. You know, it's like it's like dwelling with a rose. You dwell with the rose and you smell so sweet. And you pull away from the rose and your natural smell returns. So when you dwell with Jesus and when you follow him closely and embrace him and deny the flesh and deny natural thinking and our own opinions, we find ourselves with a sweet, sweet fragrance that's being emitted from our lives. And that's why these 12 men, 11 of them actually, they went on to a life of greatness. The multitudes, they saw the miracles, they ate the food. They went their own way. But these 12 men changed the world. 11 men. Then Paul, he showed up. See, those are the world changes. The ones that stick with Christ. If not, people can be cruel, and they can leave, they can, they can, they live this life and they leave this life with a heart 
that is smaller and not bigger. A heart that has shrunk and has not enlarged. Maybe, maybe that's one of the things we need to check with our own lives. Is my heart growing or shrinking? Remember the Grinch? He had a little tiny heart. It's just a little bitty heart. Shrunk. And what did it make him? Grinchy. But then something happened. His heart began to grow. It wasn't Grinchy anymore. He changed. There's a lot of theology in that cartoon. Let me tell you. <laughs> A lot of theology. So we have to look at ourselves sometimes. Not do I go to church. Look at my heart. Is my heart shrinking? Or is my heart growing? That's what's really important. See, Christianity, it's not a philosophy. It's not a way. It's not a, a religious system. It's something that actually makes up our life. It's not an idea that we try. It is our life. That's why it's called the Christian life. Everyone needs to ask themselves, not do I go to church often, not even do I believe the Bible. Because I know people that believe the Bible and they're not jerks. We need to ask ourselves, is Christ my life? Is he my total and my complete life? That's the question. And you know, Jesus will give the hard saying. That's right. He'll bring the tough message to separate those where Christ is their life from those where Christ is not. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to separate people and he's not afraid to let them go. So maybe, and I have to do that, I have to check my heart, oh, a lot, I really do, I have to check my heart, make sure Satan's not, you know, influencing me to say dumb things, make sure my life is sold out to Christ as much as possible. So think about that, thank you for joining me today here on Hope Radio, we'll see you next time for more.